Hey, Bentonville Church of Christ, we miss you. And it's nice to be with you, even though it's from a distance through YouTube this morning. We are praying for you all and hope that you're doing okay this week and getting by. And I just want to start on this note. Jesus offers us peace. So if you hear nothing else today, Jesus offers peace to you. I'm reminded of John 14 when Jesus said to his disciples, My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, when he comes back to them again in their locked room, and they're alone, and mysteriously he comes in and he says to them, Peace, peace with you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, which really doesn't follow CDC guidelines, but whatever Jesus needs to do to give the Holy Spirit, we'll accept, right? So the peace of Jesus be with you today. Today we're going to think about how can we survive this isolation period? How do we survive social distancing and quarantine? Uh, what do we do to get through this? And we're going to look at a couple great scriptures together, but uh, I've been noticing a few strategies people have been trying. Uh, my friends, for instance, seem to have way too much social media time right now. I've had friends sending me ideas for today, uh, like memes, to make sure I don't make this sermon look like an interrogation hostage video. <laughs> and I've had some friends sending me memes of their cardboard cutouts that they have in the pews where they have taped signs to these uh, characters standing in the pews like Amen Brother or uh, an Elsa has a cutout from Frozen that says Corona never bothered me anyway. And I guess that's another strategy that some of us are using. What do we do to get through quarantine? Well, Disney, of course. Disney Plus is the way to go. Disney even released Frozen 2 early so that all of us stay-at-homers could watch the movie and enjoy it. And I think a lot of people have been seeing the memes about Disney princesses like Ariel, the Little Mermaid, singing her song, I want to be where the people are. Isn't that just like the quarantine lingo of today? We want to be where everyone else is at. Adults, you probably have your own playlists. I mean, Billy Idol has been dancing with himself since 1981, and you've probably got that on a playlist somewhere, or MC Hammer, can't touch this. If it's a really, really sad playlist in your house, you might have Eric Carmen's All By Myself. I don't know what you're listening to and what you're watching, but we've all got some strategies. And how about this, actually, while we're thinking about Disney? Uh, Rapunzel. She's the one Disney princess who literally lives in quarantine. She's stuck in that tower for all of those years by herself. And you want to see the most just mind-blowing, wild connection? Go look up the kingdom that Rapunzel lives in in the Disney movie Tangled. It is the kingdom of Corona. I mean, who can write these kind of things, right? So we're, we're all dealing with our isolation in different ways. Uh, we even have some populations that we should probably borrow a page from because they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, like homeschoolers, our ultimate social distancing population. And I get to make this joke because I was a homeschooler for seven years growing up. I know what it's like whenever mom is the teacher and you feel like something hasn't been done the right way and you want to see the principal. So you just like, dad, you know, dad, we need you down here right now. And then 
you, know, you need rations at lunchtime. You're like, oh, we got to eat. And so once again, you're like, let's call the lunch lady. Dad, where are you at, Dad? We need food right now. We understand a little bit of what it's like to try to get through these surprising homeschooling times. And for those of you that are doing this for the first time, God bless you. I mean, also, maybe we could take a note from our friends in North Dakota. Uh, they have been doing social distancing as a state policy since 1889. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if we have anybody from North Dakota who's watching today, maybe they won't after that. I'm sorry. Please stay. We love you all. But we're doing everything we can to survive, aren't we? We're doing what we can to get by. And, and this is new for all of us. So, today, as we're looking at a couple powerful scriptures, Really what we're trying to ask is, what does God see in this that He could show us? What is God's strategy? We've got all of these strategies we might try, but what does God have for us? What does He see that could help us? And the first scripture that we're looking at today is uh, 1 Samuel 16. It is this great story about the anointing of David the king. Because we're going to need some real help in this time. There are real hardships right now that really aren't laughing matters. There's real loneliness and depression and spiritual oppression and sickness, people getting laid off. And maybe for the first time or in a new way, this gives some of us compassion for people who have lived in isolation all their life, the imprisoned, those who live with years-long or lifelong quarantine due to some kind of immune deficiency, or believers in other countries who are isolated from each other and can't worship together and, and be at church. What do we really do when the church needs some help in isolation? So this story from 1 Samuel 16 is a great one for this. The kingdom is in trouble. Saul has disobeyed God. As far as God is concerned, Saul is out. And Samuel, the prophet, is sent to anoint a new king, and he feels bad about this, maybe like he is a traitor, maybe like he will be imprisoned or arrested himself for going against Saul. But God directs him, I need you to go anoint this king. So Samuel goes, and Samuel is a prophet. He's supposed to see some of the future and understand God's plans. In fact, one of his favorite titles for himself is seer. This is a weird old word we don't use much anymore, but seer is the word for a prophet who sees things that God shows him. So we have this, this God who sees us in our distress. He sees his kingdom in trouble. In fact, one of the first names that somebody gives to God in the Bible is given by this woman, Hagar, when she was in the wilderness with just her infant child, isolated and alone, food and water running out, afraid they're going to die. And God comes to her in her distress. He sees her and rescues her and her son. And she gives him the name El Roy, which means the God who sees me. And so we've got this seeing God and this seer prophet who come into Bethlehem to anoint the new king. And the first one of the sons of Jesse that God passes in front of uh, Samuel the seer is Eliab, the oldest, the tall, handsome son. And in verse 6 of that um, chapter, we read this. Let me read it to you. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He sees this good-looking, handsome, strong guy. He thinks, surely this is God's 
anointed. He's looking at his appearance. But the Lord says to Samuel, one of the most piercing scriptures in all the Bible, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so in stunned silence, Samuel has to ponder, what does this mean? What is God seeing? He says to Jesse, send the next son. So they, they send son number two and number three all the way down the line until seven sons have passed in front of him, and none of them God has picked. So Samuel asks a question that must have come from faith. Do you have any other sons, Jesse? Is there anyone that you haven't presented before me today? Yeah, there's one more. There's David. He's off in the fields by himself. He's the smallest, the littlest, and the least. He's not even thought of by his family as deserving an appearance in front of the prophet of God. And yet, Samuel says, we'll stand here and wait until he arrives. And when he comes, he sees that David also is a ruddy, handsome, good-looking boy. Uh, You might say that he was a good looker. In fact, the Hebrew words about David say he has beautiful eyes. Does that mean that his eyes were just piercing to see? Or does it mean that he had eyes that saw beauty? Because remember, he is the poet of Israel. He becomes the the king who writes these great psalms of praise and repentance and lament. But these eyes that David had, they, they see beauty, but sometimes this even leads him into sin. He sees the beauty of Bathsheba, but he doesn't restrain himself. So we've got this young man, this kid, this peasant, if you will, who's from this backwater town that even his own family doesn't think of, and yet he becomes in folklore-like fashion or Disney-esque fashion the king of Israel. He is anointed by the seer who doesn't see that this should be the king because the God who sees, sees the plan differently and better. Man, when I hear this story, I think of all the great stories that we have told through the years that have to do with this peasant that gets raised up to a position of royalty. You know, Cinderella, if you want some of our Disney stories again, Belle in Beauty and the Beast, Mulan, Tiana, and for a prince, Aladdin. These kids who were nothings and nobodies, forgotten and overlooked, that are raised up to a position of prominence. And I want to say something for just a minute to our kids from the church. First to our younger kids, elementary age, and then to our teens who are growing into adulthood. I want to say to you that God sees you. You matter to Him. You may feel overlooked, forgotten, and and just thrown back into the home by this crisis right now of the coronavirus. You've been kind of kicked out of your schools, but... God sees you. For our elementary kids, you've been doing some incredible things. You've been writing letters to our elderly. I have seen that some of you have been making FaceTime calls to our senior citizens and encouraging them where they're alone in their homes or their apartments by themselves. God bless you for that. You get the chance to support your parents. You get the chance to help the lunch lady when he doesn't know what he is doing. I mean, you guys are the heroes in this story that God is calling forward because your patience and endurance and love, even though your children mean something to God right now. And teenagers, I know that this has cost you a lot missing out on being with your friends. For those of you who are seniors, missing out on this last semester of making memories at school 
with your people before you graduate is a really high price to pay. And I just hope that you know that we see you and love you. Ben and Nika are doing such wonderful work with you all together, rising up in faith. We see this all the time happening in important ways in our church. You help your siblings with their schoolwork at home right now. You're doing errands and things around the house for your parents to try to keep the peace there. And uh, you're even loving your friends by keeping distant from them, as hard as this is for you. We see you guys and we love you guys and we just want to say, don't give up. You see, here in the story of Samuel anointing David, we have one of Israel's greatest prophets and their greatest king. But only God can see the path forward. The prophet and the king don't see it. So if we're struggling because we can't see where this is all going, we don't need more action or a bigger plan, but a bigger vision of the God who leads. Where is he leading? Where is this all going? We don't know. He is the seer. God is the seer. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a confession. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's a confession, a statement of truth about God. But it smells like repentance. It smells like repentance that admits, I thought I saw the right way to do things. I thought I saw the way forward. I thought I knew what was in my next week, in my next month. I thought I knew how I had mapped out and had planned what God was going to do with me this spring and this summer. And, and now I realize I don't see. And so in repentance, we always say, it's not about what I thought I saw. I'm changing my mind to trust God's bigger plan, His leading and His vision. We need a guide. We need a God who can guide us through times like this. And David, with the beautiful eyes, wrote a psalm just for this occasion. Psalm 23, one of the most famous and majestic psalms in all the Bible that talks about God as our shepherd, caring for us, feeding us, leading us into green pastures and beside calm waters. I just want to read this psalm for us this morning, but read it from the message translation. It sounds a little different in Eugene Peterson's poetry, but it's impactful. Listen along with me for a minute. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Isn't that what we need right now? A moment to compose ourselves, to catch our breath, and for God to guide us and direct us again. But some of this is frightening. Some of it is scary. Some of our friends have lost their jobs, some of them are sick, and it feels like Death Valley, the shadow of the valley of death. So even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, my cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Eugene Peterson translated that famous psalm. You see, we still have needs. We need a God who leads forward. And we have needs in the middle of this time that only God can really address. And these are different for each person. I don't know what they are for you. Maybe you're spending some time in your stillness thinking about what they are. You might begin to sense God saying some things to you as you sit in some quiet time and some prayer with Him over these coming weeks. For instance, do you feel lonely at home? 
Some of us might feel crowded at home. Do you feel restless, like you're over-accomplishing, trying to do too much, or under-accomplishing, you don't have a plan? In each of these ways, what is God saying to you as you sit with Him in prayer? What is your shepherd God saying to you? How is He feeding you? How is He leading you to quiet waters? How, is you, how are you eating this six-course meal in front of your enemies? Because there are enemies across the table from us, but they are not the enemies that we suppose. Sometimes we think it is the parent or the child that is driving us nuts, but these are not the enemies. Sometimes we think it are the officials who caused us to self-quarantine like this, but it is not the officials. The enemies are these spiritual burdens called loneliness and crowded and burdened and afraid and restless and irritated and impatient. It feels like they are catching you, like they are going to weigh you down. But the truth of this psalm is that through prayer, those kind of spiritual enemies quickly get winded and they fall behind. The only thing that is pursuing you for your whole life is God's beauty, God's love. It endures to chase after you every day of your life. So for those lonely, can you connect creatively somehow? Can you be the one who sponsors a Zoom meeting for your small group or calls some people on FaceTime to check in? For the people that feel crowded, maybe this is a moment for you to find your quiet waters. You've been needing to set down Twitter and to read a novel instead. For the restless, is there a project you've been meaning to get to? Could you create a new one? Get some seeds, plant a garden, grow some vegetables, be part of fixing this problem of grocery shortage? What can you do in your setting? What is God saying to you? And don't become too burdened by this. I've seen the memes on the internet that say things like Isaac Newton discovered gravity while he was in quarantine and Shakespeare wrote 150 sonnets. Just don't put that kind of pressure on yourself, but sit in the presence of God and ask Him for His faithful sight and vision, for His leading in your life. What is He doing through you? How is His love and His mercy chasing you down at this point in your life. See, we need the God who gives sight to us because we don't see as well as we ought to. I've got a prayer that maybe you'll pray with me today that is a prayer for God to give us sight. It's short and it's simple. Let me say it once and then you can repeat it with me. God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. Would you say that with me one time? God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. Let's do it one more time. God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. There's a story in the Gospel of John chapter 9. I hope you'll read the whole chapter this week. Make it your reading plan for Monday. Jesus comes to this man who was born blind. His followers ask him, was this man the sinner or were his parents the sinner that he was born blind like this? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Neither this man or his parents sinned that he was born blind, but this is that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. We have in moments like this an opportunity to ask, what is the gift of sight that God is giving us now? How is God going to reveal his glory in our lives? It's easy for us to lay blame. It's easy for us to ask, like, what went wrong here? that we have to be socially distant for so long. Who was unprepared? Who thought this was a good plan? Uh, God would say, no, 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 no. Let's not look to lay the blame. Let's look for how God is glorifying himself in this moment. 
What is he doing through the sons and the daughters of God to make a difference in this world? For instance, what gift of sight does God want to give you now? How, how would he open our eyes? Is this the chance to slow down, the chance to breathe a little? Is this the chance to save some money instead of spend it? The chance to write a long letter instead of just sending a text message? Is God saying to you, this is the time to appreciate what it means to have our daily bread? Give us today our daily bread, we pray. And God says, now I'm going to be glorified because you're going to understand a little bit better what this means. Is God giving us the sight to learn appreciation for every group dinner, every concert, every ball game, every worship service that comes when this social distancing is over? Is God not giving us new insight into how much those times mean in our lives? He's giving us appreciation for our educators, for our nurses. He's giving us appreciation for our grocery workers in new and profound ways that maybe we didn't see days ago. But now God, who gives sight, is helping us to see. God is helping us to see that we can prioritize others. In fact, maybe he is putting our do unto others to the test. Do you see how God might be testing us to see if we love others at a time like this? Do we see our isolation as an act of love? Because it is. We're doing what we're doing for love. We're tempted uh, to say something like, if we were faithful, we would go to church. If we were faithful, we would just trust that God wouldn't give us coronavirus. But God has revealed to us how we can serve each other at this time. God has spoken a word from eternity through the science that he's given us to say, the way that you can help each other at this time is slow the spread. Uh, love each other. Be patient. and Go to your homes for a little while. Blaise Pascal famously said that all of the problems of the human race could be settled if man could just learn to sit in his own room for a little while. Maybe God is saying to us now, do unto others as you would have them do unto you means to love each other through the separation. We're doing what we're doing based on love and based on faith. And this is, after all, the one time that we get to save humanity by sitting on the couch and watching television. I mean, guys, let's not mess this up. In our stillness this week, we get to ask, what would you make from this, Lord? What would you have us to do? What do you see that we are blind to? How would you change us? God, what would you have us think about differently? When this is all over, Lord, where do you want me to be? I'm going to ask you to pray it with me again three times. God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. God who sees, have mercy on us. God who sees, give us sight. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.